the Brussels Report podcast. Welcome to a new episode of the Brussels Report podcast. Uh, my name is uh, Peter Kleppe. I'm the editor-in-chief of BrusselsReport.eu. And I'm really happy to have as my guest uh, today uh, Björn Peters. Uh, Björn is a German uh, physicist. He's an energy economist. He has been working um, at uh, uh, McKinsey, uh, Deutsche Börse, uh, Deutsche Bank. He's a, a prolific writer, a political commentator, has, uh, has played quite a big role in the, the German nuclear energy debate. And, and he's just not, not only a commentator, he's also an entrepreneur. Um, he's very much in the field at the moment. Um, in, in, like, um, he, he's busy with um, uh, the new generation of nuclear power plants. Uh, so, so that's super interesting uh, to hear um, his thoughts. So uh, welcome, Bjorn. Thank you very much for having me. Great. So let's maybe start with uh, this tiny political issue that... Uh, that's keeping some people awake, the, the energy crisis that has engulfed uh, Europe, um, I think you can say over the last year. Eh? I mean, it's definitely started uh, before uh, Putin um, invaded um, Ukraine. So, so in a nutshell, what is the, what is the cause of this uh, energy crisis? Well, um, as you rightly said, um, it started uh, in the first half of 2021. Um, and uh, the Ukraine crisis, of course, amplified it, but it was not the, the root cause. The root cause mm. is policy-driven in two regards or two dimensions. Uh, one is that we made ourselves more and more reliable, uh, dependent on, on unreliable sources of energy, so weather-dependent energy forms. And unfortunately, across uh, several regions of the world, uh, the nature didn't play with us um, uh, very well. Uh, so we had substantial less wind power in Western Europe in the first half of 2021. Um, hence, what people do, what do people do? Uh, they they uh, rather burn gas and, and switch the gas power plants up um, in order to get the power they need. And in uh, Brazil, it was a drought. Uh, so they had less hydropower than usually. Uh, and again, they, they were using more gas. So the gas markets were under stress. Mm. And it's a, a more than a year I gave an interview. I remember that I said, uh, well, we are in an energy crisis. Prices mm. have doubled and tripled. Um, and not only the carbon, uh, the, the, the gas prices have tripled um, at the time. Um, it was the, the carbon markets as well that had, had went up uh, due to uh, additional demand. So that was number one root cause. And in the number two was the defund movement um, going out of Wall Street a couple of years ago. Mm. Uh, so the defund fossil fuel companies, because what would fossil fuel, healthy fossil fuel companies do when demand increases, they increase supply. Uh, but uh, they didn't have the funds to do so. Um, and therefore, um, this is another uh, issue for, for, for that we're now facing, that we need more fossil fuels to cover up for the, for the bad weather, um, and we don't get this, uh, these additional supplies. So because of ESG, the second uh, reason, right? 
Um, yeah, it's part of the, the ESG mm. criteria, uh, but it's, I think it's a little bit broader. This defund fossil fuels mm. um, is, is much more severe. So um, it is not about women's rights or, or social uh, justice or whatever. It's really uh, that people believe we can phase out fossil fuels very quickly. Um, and they may, might ignore that we still use 80% of them to fuel the, the, the world. Um, and so they, they are here to, to stay for a while. And if we overcome them, it's not about policy. It's really about new technologies and innovation in other sectors. And, and um, on that, on fossil fuels, b before we go to nuclear, um, on fossil fuels, I, I, it always struck me that, uh, okay, let's assume you're somebody who wants to face out fossil fuels in Europe then I would say the obvious thing to do is to start with phasing out non-European fossil fuels and then after that phase out European fossil fuels. I mean, uh, not only because of supply certainty, I mean, we've seen with Russia how certain it is, uh, but also um, I'm sure that gas extraction in the Netherlands is way better for the environment despite it, its downsides than it is in, in Russia or uh, Qatar, right? So, so, so I mean, uh, the, the Greens really have gotten away with this, uh, I think, uh, right? Yeah, absolutely. They are exporting pol environmental pollution. And mm. uh, that's certainly a bad thing. So um, in, in Germany in particular, I mean, we have since more than 20 years, we have a systematic political strategy shared by essentially by all parties that have been in government since then to increase uh, the cost of energy. And that has driven out um, substantial amounts of, of industry, uh, of energy intense industry to, to countries with less energy costs and probably less environmental standards. Uh, mm. So we are, therefore, um, if you think on a, on a global scale, uh, I believe we have harmed the planet with our policies and didn't do anything for, for, for the better. Yes, absolutely. Now, as they say in the United Kingdom, um, we are where we are, uh, not in a good place, I would say. But like, how, how to solve this? Now, let's, let's say if you would be in charge or if you would recommend to policymakers concrete steps uh, to fix this, uh, what would be your recommendation? Actually, it's relatively simple um, when you think carefully about it. High prices mean high scarcity. Uh, that is very trivial and it, it works in every markets mm. um, and so if there is high scarcity we need to increase supply and what uh, what is the very first thing we can do to increase supply that is not switching off um, reliable capacity and um, I believe in, in Belgium there is a, a, a phase out debate about nuclear energy of course yes. we, we do have one in Germany uh, we, we still have only three um, nuclear power plants running. Mm -hmm. Three other could be brought back to operations with modest amounts of, of effort. Mm -hmm. um, so that is something that could work very quickly and that has to be done. So it, it's totally irresponsible not even to, not to discuss it, mm. not to do it. Um, then, of course, what is happening, and that's... Uh, the response of the German government currently is to switch on coal uh, more and more, even lignite plants, uh, bring them back, um, which is um, much more pollutant than nuclear energy. Mm -hmm. um, and so this, these are the short-term measures. 
uh, the midterm measures is, of course, start um, producing our own gas. Uh, mm -hmm. So for, for Germany, that would mean uh, we have about 30 years of, of supply in our, in our soils. Um, so we could extract this gas, but it's mm -hmm. forbidden by law to do fracking in Germany. And, and exactly fracking, as, yeah. as you said, um, fracking in Germany has been done for decades without any issue. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want to rely on somebody to do fracking, it should be a German engineer. Um, so I, didn't know that, uh, <laughs> I did not know that fracking was actually legal in Germany. It, was, it is illegal. Yes, it. but I did yes. not know that it used to be uh, perfectly legal, right? That's what Absolutely, you're saying. Or... But, but yes. fracking is nothing really new. Um, I mean, mm -hmm. some forms of fracking have been do done since, since the 1960s. Okay. So it's certainly older than me. Um, and um, and so, so this is on, on a midterm. We could develop within a few years uh, those domestic sources of, of fossil mm -hmm. fuels again. Also in, uh, in, uh, in the Netherlands, uh, Groningen, the yeah, biggest uh, gas field in Europe, one of the biggest in the world. And the Dutch government is afraid to uh, even discuss it because they completely mishandled this, uh, you know, the damages that people suffered. Uh, and now everybody is against it, but they should just, I think, <laughs> properly compensate people for the damage and then do it in a proper way. And, and well, anyway. Um, yeah. Now, I mean, uh, it is it is a, a similar discussion in in fracking, in gas fracking, than in in the nuclear industry. People um, um, lead those discussions, participate in those discussions with arguments from the nineteen eighties. Mm. Um, but on the other side, uh, gas fracking technologies have improved largely, so um, there is no 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 toxic um, substances any longer in the in the the, the fracking substances. Um, and and um, the with the double shelling of the the boreholes, um, it it has never happened so far in history that there was damage to the groundwaters, um, and uh, in so far, fracking is a totally different technology now than it used to be thirty years ago when when people were getting upset about it, and probably rightfully so. Mm. Um, so it there there is technical progress, there is innovation. Uh, and it's for the better and we should use it. Well, fascinating because I think very few people uh, uh, actually know a lot about this in the in the public debate. It's sort of vilified and um, uh, yeah, like um, it, it, there's very little nuance uh, when it comes to fracking. Um, and and um, what, what, would you, what would you say, you mentioned the short term, the midterm uh, and then the long term, what's the long term uh, approach? Well, the, the, the long-term approach is either to develop um, or to invent those um, miraculous storage systems that people are waiting for since decades. Mm -hmm. um, and it has to be really cost-efficient and energy-efficient. So everything that is currently proposed is, is um, highly inefficient. So, mm -hmm. you, for example, with uh, this green hydrogen bubble, um, yeah. I don't think it will really come <laughs> because it's... Uh, you. So when you produce power somehow, use the power to produce hydrogen, store mm. it, compress it, um, then dig it out from somewhere again when you once you use it, once you once yeah. you need it, um, and put it into a, a power station again, um, then you lose essentially eighty percent of that energy of the initial energy. So if 
energy is extremely cheap, then you can afford it. But of course, um, with the weather-dependent energy sources, it won't be that cheap um, because we are here in Europe and we don't have 4,000 hours of, of solar irradiation mm. over the year. So that is, um, that is probably something um, we have to overcome. So this, this type of thinking that renewable energy is a value in itself, mm-hmm. um, that is something that has deeply flawed the, the, all the discussion. Is we, we started with renewable energy because we wanted a cleaner and a carbon-free energy production. Um, but whether it really is cleaner, um, we're given all the, the toxic waste issues and the mm-hmm. enormous commodity issues and the land yeah. issues. So if it's not environmental friendly, um, then then uh, we need to reconsider. And, and it, it didn't pose really big issues uh, so far because we didn't have much of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, to continue on such a path and say, well, 100% of of energy should come from weather-dependent energy sources. Um, it is, of course, it would transform um, and industrialize the, the continent in, an, in a way that hasn't been conceived ever before. And I don't think that people will accept this. Uh, so we, not all of us are living in big towns and we, don't, we, we, we know wind power plants only from, from, the, from the TV or so. Yeah. Um, so some people have to live in those, those uh, yes. landscapes. Um, so um, I, I think we have seen the peak of, of uh, renewable energy now and, and maybe it's, it's, it will probably continue a few years more. Um, but more and more people in the uh, globally wake up and and reconsider the role of weather dependent energy sources. Um, and uh, so, the ten years ago, I was in my when I gave uh, talks about energy policy. It was titled "How much solar and wind can the German market tolerate?" So mm-hmm. it is a, it is actually a question of how much is is good and and when does it get harmful. And this type of thinking is starting to evolve in many countries, and not so much at the center at the, in the mainstream discussions yet in in uh, Europe, um, but in in uh, as I've been discussing with North American and African people in in the last months, mm. and it is it is a, a very important consideration there. And then of course um, there is a very high level of innovation. In the nuclear sector currently, yes, um, and and um, this will create. So as soon as as a nuclear power plant is as easy to operate than an X-ray machine, mm-hmm. um, and as soon as it is cheaper than coal, oil, and gas, mm-hmm. um, people will will see nuclear energy totally different from from nowadays. Um, and I believe that that uh, the future of nuclear energy is yet to come. And uh, is it? Um, I mean, oppon- like non- not opponents, but some people have rightly pointed out that, of course, nuclear energy produces uh, electricity. But for some industrial processes, you you need uh, primary energy, basically. So, so is that correct that that you can't? Uh, um, you know, you just you can't rely for hundred percent of your energy supply on nuclear. You always will need some gas, uh, coal, uh, or, or would you say no? Maybe in the future, or, or 
that's not the case. I know for sure. I Layman mean, question. <laughs> they, um, yeah, there, there are about 90 startups currently, or mm. more or less startups. Some of them are quite mature, actually. Uh, mm. Companies globally who develop um, new nuclear. And some of them uh, work with high temperature concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's uh, the, the, the pebble bed people and so X energy and it's the, it's the molten salt people like mm-hmm. Moltex and, and, uh, and, uh, they, and as with dual fluid, uh, so with working with liquid, um, uranium even, um, with high temperature heat, um, the, 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 the energy landscape will, will be transformed, uh, enormously. Um, as soon as this is cheaper than, than gas and oil and coal, um, it will um, be built a little bit everywhere to fuel industrial processes, so for metal, glass and cement production, for example. So, sorry and to interrupt you. You're saying yeah. that, indeed, nuclear is able to, on the long term, outcompete gas, uh, oil. That's what you're saying? Yeah, but let me just finish the, the one sentence. Sure. <laughs> um, uh, so with heat, with an abundancy of, of industrial, uh, so high temperature heat, um, you can even produce synfuels in arbitrary quantities. So we could stick with the um, infrastructure of, of, of uh, combustion engines um, and, and airplanes and all this. Mm-hmm. So we wouldn't necessarily need um, uh, fossil fuels for this. And it could be very clean burning fuels um, that that really changed the way uh, people uh, think the, the, the environment is harmed. And so back to your, back to your question, mm. I mean, um, there are various um, concepts out there that are currently pursued. Um, some of them produce very efficiently um, power, but not really the high temperature heat. Um, and others that produce more more power, more more the, the focus on the heat sector, um, because of their higher temperature in the reactors. Mm-hmm. What is currently going on um, with the with the SMRs, so the small and modular reactors business, um, it is that um, many of those companies focus enormously on introducing industrial manufacturing processes um, that have haven't been seen before in the in the nuclear industry one um, colleague put it very concisely we used the we in the industry we used to build aircraft uh, airports but now we need to learn how to build aircrafts um, and that is uh, something we many companies are really working on um, and of course with the industrial um, manufacturing process, you get down costs quite drastically, um, and with very simple reactor designs, um, you you uh, reduce operations cost and the, the maybe even the, the operation burden. So if you have a something that works as simple um, as a as an X-ray machine, um, so every dentist can operate it. Um, he doesn't need to be a nuclear engineer to do so. And mm. uh, eventually nuclear uh, power plants or nuclear cores, let's I mean, a nuclear, uh, the, the core of a nuclear power station is an oven, a nuclear oven. And if these nuclear ovens are simple enough that they can be and safe enough that they can be put in every industrial zone um, and people don't have to fear it, um, uh, large parts of the, of the industry actually can be decarbonized. 
Okay, and if I understand you well, it's not just about um, you know avoiding CO two emission. It's also about uh, replacing uh, gas, uh, oil, uh, maybe even coal as energy sources. Uh, correct. So, so I would then expect people that care for the environment to be uh, fanatically pro nuclear. Correct. Theoretically, yes. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, there, and unfortunately, there are some misconceptions. I mean. Um, nuclear energy has had the um, the unfortunate um, fate of being invented in 1938, I believe, by Lise Meitner, mm. um, a German physicist, and um, it that was just before World War Two, and um, people needed uh, the the nuclear um, reaction for bomb, building bombs instead of, of yes. uh, u- using it peacefully. And that has, of course, it, of course, dragged the entire um, nuclear history down. Um, but um, let's face it; that's eight years ago. Um, we we need to look forward, and yes. people are doing this. Uh, so it's an enormously innovative sector. Uh, I've been um, on, on many conferences this year um, and last year, and I've, I've spoken with C-level colleagues from all sorts of of nuclear companies. And so this there's there's a there's really a good enthusiasm in this industry that we can um, collectively uh, really solve the big energy issues um, that that we are facing. And and uh, just to go back to to uh, eight years ago, anyway, <laughs> um, this Lisa Meitner, right? Um, so, like, is is nuclear technology? Is it um, does it have civilian uh, origins or? Um, military origins just for the sake of the debate of whether the military brings about innovation or not um well the 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 scientific discovery was neither nor of course it was Mm. just um so the 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 discovery that you could induce the the fission of a nuclear core um with neutrons uh, that that was of course um, a purely scientific invention Mm. um I think it is fair to say that the um, um, not only the bomb, but even the first years of the uh, the, the civil usage of, of nuclear energy, um, it was um, mostly financed by the U.S. military in the West. Mm-hmm. Um, there was not the, the same story in Germany, for example. We, we developed our nuclear industry a little later, so it didn't start in the fifties. It started, yeah, or maybe end of the fifties, while. It was uh, late forties in the in the uh, essentially immediately after World War Two uh, that they started with this in in the U.S. Uh, so we were ten years late, maybe. Um, but the, the the core really was um, excellent research and development conditions uh, that only a military environment can can could ground at the time. Sure, sure, interesting. And today you're talking about this, um, you know, fascinating developments of, uh, you know, SMRs and and small nuclear uh, reactors um, that would basically be in, could be in everybody's home or that uh, could be very decentralized. Um, So so is European industry and German industry, uh, I mean, are we running behind uh, the rest of the world or are we actually, do, do we have many companies active in this field? Well, there are a number of 
of very innovative companies in in Europe um, take uh, Seaborg and Copenhagen Atomics in in Copenhagen, um, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I like very much what Rolls Royce is doing because they they know how to build airplanes or at least engines, airplane engines. Mm -hmm. um, so they they have lots of manufacturing. Um, abilities although their reactor design is um so so most nuclear engineers don't don't like i've met don't like it because it's so boring it's so outdated mm. but actually it's um, I, I think this is a good idea to use something to do something that is very very well known and to bring it to an industrial scale um, um by a company like rolls royce so i i think this is a convincing um, um concept um so us in in so it's mostly dominant the german team um in uh, that that invented dual fluid energy uh we went to canada because we thought the the um development proce process will be easier there mm -hmm. uh, it would probably be insane to develop a nuclear reactor in a country that forbids its usage um, so we, we uh, it was would be too much a risk to um, mm. rely on on uh, politicians to yes. uh, keep the um, the conditions um, positive. Um, but most of actually most of the um, uh, startups in that domain are actually in North America, in Canada, and the U.S. There are very good uh, government programs. Um, in the U.S., for example, it's it's really, um, by the way, um, bipartisan efforts. So, Democrats and Republicans um, are unified behind those programs, and they they, they pour a few billions into the sector. Mm. Um, and in just in order to to help people it, um, bring forward their inventions um, in a good way um, and 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 make them progress. Um, there's other debates about, for example, the nuclear fuel um, that where the Department of Energy in the U.S. is really helping uh, in a way that uh, we don't see in Europe. Okay. Uh, well, I, I can say in Belgium we have a research center that is quite known, uh, Mira, mm -hmm. and they, they are also supported by the same Belgian government that is uh, that at least used to uh, try to shut down <laughs> Belgium's nuclear fleet. Uh, but but thankfully uh, they're gonna at least keep two reactors out of the seven open and most likely more that that's more or less decided um, um, but they have to um, you know agree with uh, owner Engie uh, to to bring that about uh, so so anyway very interesting um, to hear about uh, the developments in the nuclear industry uh, and and maybe I want to go back to one point you mentioned. Um, for the long term, your, your great hopes are, are not only on nuclear, but also on storage technology. And, and you, you, you were quite critical on, on green hydrogen, which is, of course, supported fanatically by the European Commission. Uh, but, um, but if you like what, what would you be optimistic about when uh, when we're talking about storage? What kind of technologies do you think, um, you know, carry great hope? Well, actually, um, to be precise, I said you have to have much hope into storage um, in order to, to really believe in it. Oh, I see. Uh, I see. So um, I I don't see many of those storage technologies, um, actually any single one that, that could compete on cost sufficiently. But mm. um, that doesn't mean that, that I think that the hydrogen it's, as an idea is dead. Um, 
as long as you produce it locally where you use it, um, hydrogen can, can play a very beneficial role. Uh, or you produce higher molecules, something like methanol would be nice, ammonia would be nice, um, hydrazine. Um, um, so you, once you have a an, an, an high temperature oven, you can actually um, produce lots of those different um, um, yeah, energy commodities um, at large scale. Uh, but uh, in particular for hydrogen storage and and the transport is very costly and inefficient. Um, so therefore, um, it's as I said. So it's it's better. It's, it it will have a good future if we learn to produce it locally and and um, and use it essentially immediately. Mm. Well, in, in any case, if the whole if the nuclear technology uh, revolution takes off, then I guess we we have to worry less about storage, right? Absolutely, a little bit will will always be there. Of course, I mean, even in the in the best times of um, so twenty twenty five years ago of of take the German grid because it's uh, the largest one. Um, we we still had um, some high, pumped hydropower plants to for the for the peak demand, and that makes a lot of sense um, to, to 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 run such such storage plants. Um, but it's a question of, of dimension. I mean, um, I calculated 10 years ago the, the, the overall challenge of s switching from um, uh, an energy system on, on a, just a power system mm -hmm. uh, with dispatchable capacities to one that is uh, entirely weather dependent, so only solar and wind energy. Um, the, the storage requirement is about 80 terawatt hours. And our pumped hydro is 0.04 terawatt hours. So it's a factor of 2,000 away of what is actually needed. And of course, the, the storage is only one solution to the right question, mm -hmm. um, which is how, how do you bring this flexibility into the market? But um, so I, I don't see um, uh, it. So, so all the studies I've read about the, that claim that such a 100% renewable energy scenario is, is possible. Um, they were, every time I read it, there were, there were significant flaws in the mm. scientific thinking and the scientific method involved. Um, and um, so that, that doesn't give me um, great courage in believing that, that this could ever be achieved. But on the other side, um, I mean, solar and wind energy is not too expensive in some regions. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I think it, it is there to stay in particular solar energy because there's mm -hmm. still a good cost digression, uh, although only on LCOE. So that's the, the, um, the, the, the output cost on corporate level. So from off the power plant, it doesn't account for the, um, uh, for the system cost. But in regions where you have higher power demand when the sun is shining, yes. Um, it absolutely makes sense to have some solar energy in the grid. Mm. Um, I mean, it, it is here, it's really here to stay, and it will be relatively cheap. Um, um, it's only this, this, these systems of solar and and storage in a, uh, and if it's more than two hours of storage, is if it's really the, the required levels of storage, which means weeks of storage, uh, that is something that can't be built, and I'm pretty sure not within this century, not within the next one. 
and and actually it's very interesting that you mentioned that because um, I mean this is good to discuss among uh, people that are interested in technological development or or in in profit or entrepreneurial um, you know opportunities in the energy sector super interesting but at the end of the day um, it should not matter for politicians uh, politicians should not try to micromanage and try to favor one technology over another. They should not, I think, try to favor nuclear uh, power over solar panels or the other way around or have minimum percentages of um, production with renewables, um, right? And isn't that part of the problem that the, the especially the European Commission, of course, at the EU level, tries to not only tell countries to reduce CO2 emission, but also try to micromanage, try to tell them how to do it with minimum percentages of renewables, where it's very shady also what's defined as renewables, like uh, burning wood imported from Brazil is uh, defined yeah. as uh, renewable energy and, and, and endless debates. Uh, but but and, and now that the commission is sort of seeing, oh, well, the, the kind of technologies that we're supporting are unreliable they, they then have their magic bullet uh, storage, you know, to solve the, the problem, which is then supposedly green uh, hydrogen, which is, a, a, as you, you've explained, a bit of a, a pipe dream or at least a, a bet. You know, maybe, maybe, I guess we should be modest, maybe it turns out to be right. But then if, if, there have, you know, if they have been uh, making like massive bets with uh, or welfare, even if you know the technologies politicians have been favoring turn out to be the superior ones, looking back, you could say it still was not the right thing to do to to gamble with people's welfare in such a way, right? So, so I mean, it is isn't that the problem that this whole top-down approach uh, towards energy and also then linked to that the fact that I think in in no country on earth, energy is a real free market. Uh, it, it's always regulated with licenses, monopolies. It's crony capitalism run wild. Uh, or correct me if I'm wrong, but that's sort of my impression of, of how the energy markets operate almost everywhere, right? Yeah, no, I mean, um, we're still in an infrastructure sector and uh, it would be naive to believe that you could do it just without any policy involved. Hmm. Um, but um, of course, it is. Um, we, we have been driven in a in a wrong direction, uh, in a relatively arrogant uh, direction, just to to state these and those technologies, uh, those we develop, and the other ones we don't. Uh, and in the in the up until the 1990s, I believe it was a relatively good playing level playing field. So mm. all the technologies. That were interesting got some funding uh we had a university at the university level um, um professorships for um as a positions research positions for both solar and nuclear and combustion uh, optimization of combustion um, uh, power plants um so that i i think we need to to get back to this and uh and the, the real big issue is the Renewable Energy Directive um, that essentially says that everyone has to go to, to re, so-called renewable, um, mm. although it, it is essentially a synonym for weather dependent. Um, and yes. and it, it's just not well thought through. I mean, it's, um, 
weather-dependent energies have two really big issues, and one is the, the low energy density, which means that you require lots of land and lots of commodities to, to harvest them. Um, and the second is the intermittency um, that you have to bridge somehow and to, to believe that you could, could, read, could get rid of baseload because the, the, the offering is not, is not in a constant way. Um, that is, um, it, it's hilarious. I mean, it's, it's, it, it won't work like that. Mm -hmm. And then also linked to that, not only do they want to impose uh, as much renewable energy uh, in the energy mix as they can, uh, I mean, they, they also assume this will then work and then they can impose specific, um, you know, kind of cars onto the car market i mean at the eu level the idea is to it i don't think it's 100 percent uh, finalized this legislation but to to ban um the combustion engine <laughs> from 2035 and i believe a number of member states also have done it or are doing it at the, at the national level i mean what's your view on that on the electric car revolution i'm, I'm not a car expert but i think it's easy to come up with so many problems with it electric cars um and again let let maybe let the market decide let people decide what they prefer and if the downsides are maybe worth it compared to the upsides uh, it sounds to me so incredibly wrong to try to impose um this yeah it stems from the same uh, arrogance essentially um to tell the engine that the politicians believe they can tell the engineers where the best solutions are <laughs> um and no that's that's exactly the the thinking i mean they um um the 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 electric cars we don't need to go into this this debate i mean i would love to have a, a um, an electric car for whatever i do here around frankfurt but uh -huh. usually i use my car um mostly for, for long-haul travel when I have to go to see somewhere, someone. Um, and and um, so, of course, I stick with my, with my old um, combustion engine-propelled mm. car. Um, so, and that is, so the market shares of um, electric vehicles are still very, very weak. So um, the two of us, we are not alone in believing that there might be some, some issues. Yes. And then again, it is something that is being done without even really considering the enormous challenges of building out the electrical grid in a way that that people can charge their cars. Uh, so what what is um, is probably uh, all over the, the the Europe the the same thing. We have mm. in our streets cables of eighty five kilowatt. And this can be upgraded to maximum 125 kilowatt. But one supercharger consumes half of that energy, 40 kilowatt, um, and and some more. So uh, mm. if you live in that street um, and you're the first one to, to get a supercharger, lucky you. But the second one, uh, essentially, the, they have to say, well, it can't work like that. Now we have to, to, uh, to reinforce the grid. And uh, they actually have to do it. They're obliged. But if everybody now buys an electric car because he's forced to and wants to have a supercharger, it simply won't work. And mm. these, these trillion of, of funds that, that need to be brought up to, to, to enhance the grid in, in such a way and the distribution grid, um, it's, it's mostly the question of the distribution grid. Um, and then, of course, to build the new power plants that, 
than fuel this, and they shouldn't be weather dependent because people might wish to to charge their electric car even on a on a cloudy winter day, uh, with, with so without wind. Um, all of this, um, it's again, it's a refusal of the political space to ask the right question and to get them answered. And this is a, a general um, um, a lack of scientific thinking in the political space um, and and probably in the, in the, in the media because they, they let mm. the politicians get away with it. Yes, yes, very, very true. Uh, maybe before we conclude, um, I have a question on, on um, the, the German manufacturing uh, like sector there, there have been some alarmist media articles uh, also this week in the financial times highlighting how many uh, german companies have already you know gone bust bankrupt some of them 120 150 years old um, and all of it directly linked to the exploding cost of of energy are you, what's your view on this? Are you very pessimistic? Do you do you think the government is not getting it right? Is not basically following your suggestions? Will we have a very big crisis again next winter when trying to you know, fuel or gas reserves? Or, or do you think that this is all a little bit exaggerated, perhaps, and and that somehow industry will find a way to cope with the challenges? I mean, as somebody who is actually, of course, a great expert also in the in the German economy, what's what's your view on this? Um, yeah, this is a, a deeply economic economic question, and um, the observation is that in a hundred percent of the cases, when energy became very expensive, there was a, an economic crisis afterwards. Mm. So we sometimes tend to forget how important energy actually is, and the cheap and abundant energy is um, for uh, our well-being as an economy and as a society. Um, we owe the fossil fuels um, a doubling in, in, in life expectancy. Um, so we're getting older, richer, wealthier, better, better nourished uh, than, than 200 years ago, our ancestors. Um, and although we have uh, uh, increased the, the human population by a factor of eight, so this is very often forgotten. Um, to whom we owe this, and that is fossil fuels. Mm. And every time they were cheap, um, that we had um, economic uh, development, and uh, every time they were expensive. Uh, for example, in twenty in two thousand seven, when oil uh, went up to uh, above one hundred forty dollars per per barrel, uh, we had the most important world financial financial crisis, and of course the. Um, the high energy prices are not the um, the root cause for such um, crisis, but they, they they draw they suck out so much cash out of the economony that yes. um, uh, vulnerable parts of the economy are then um, can't survive, um, mm. and and that is that is something we will see, uh, and um, yeah, the. The, the the German policy. I mean, we have now made the first step towards a lifetime extension uh, for three units, uh, for three units for for um, three months or three and a half months. Mm -hmm. uh, it's by far not enough. Um, mm -hmm. The liberals within the, within the government, the FDP, uh, will fight for keeping open as many power plants at, uh, for as long a time possible. 
Unfortunately, now uh, today, Christian Lindner, uh, the head of the Liberal Party, uh, said something that I, I I can't really follow. Uh, he said, "Well, okay, we 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 will we are going to use nuclear energy. We're we're going to 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 use it for some as a bridge, and we are going to phase it out. But um, the bridge is good if you know where the other what is on the other shore. <laughs> yes, yes, but uh, we are still developing. It's still in lab phase. What mm. is on the other shore, mm. um, and to call nuclear um, a, a bridge is is uh, a little bit preposterous. Mm. Um, so we need to reconsider all of all of these policies, um, and I don't see yet the uh, the readiness by even by industry leaders and by policy leaders um, so far. Meaning the energy crisis will prevail. Uh, we will have very high energy tariffs for the next probably five to ten years uh, until we really are able to change something. And over that course, l- lots of industry will um, will will go broke. Hmm. Yes. Well, that's a let's say a r- reality shock then. Uh, so. Um... And let's hope that this reality shock will, will uh, you know, force politicians and the commentariat uh, to, to completely change their minds. I mean, there's a, a small glimmer of hope that uh, Greta Thunberg, uh, the, the, the great prophet of climate doom, uh, has now openly come out in favor of, of nuclear power. Uh, so, so, and I, uh, I think if people would listen more to you and actually how it's even able to ultimately replace gas uh, oil even um, called then then you know I think if you're a, like a sincere environmentalist there is no other conclusion possible than to to embrace uh, nuclear power so so thank you very much uh, Bjorn Peters thank you Peter <laughs>